This is The Truth with Sherwin Hughes on 1017 The Truth, The Truth app, and 1017thetruth.com. the program welcome to hour three that's what i'm supposed to say somebody asked me if i hold the elevator door yeah i do because that's rude if you don't hold the elevator door i've had some real painful experiences involving the elevator door one that i recall was at the fister hotel i was at the fister hotel and i was going up to blue which is a lounge on the 23rd floor of the Fister Hotel. I like blue, but blue is not what it used to be. Blue has um, it's become a little bit too popular and trendy with a crowd of people that I don't want to sit next to. And this is not me being judgmental. This is just a Milwaukee thing. Like Milwaukee has, there's all these little like hidden gems little hidden spots, little hole in the walls that are just wonderful places. They could be bars, restaurants, music venues. A lot of times they're off the beaten path and very interesting and very eclectic, very diverse people hang out in some of these places. But then when these places get discovered, they get discovered by people that ruin the culture of these specific places. Okay. And so blue jazz in the park. Is another one. Why did y'all do that to Jazz in the Park? You know what I'm talking about. You know, I'm not going to get into details, but whatever. So I'm at the, I was at the Fister Hotel. This is a long time ago. And I was going up to Blue. And I parked my vehicle. I parked on Mason Street. And I walk into the hotel from, I think that's Mason Street right there. And I walked toward the elevator. It is a very well-dressed, probably 60-ish something Caucasian woman wearing a dress, holding her purse. And she had already pushed the elevator button. She had pushed up. And so then I stand next to her. We're waiting on the elevator. I didn't say anything to her. She didn't say anything to me. In fact, I probably otherwise would not have noticed her, save for the fact that she was waiting on the same elevator that I was waiting for. What happened next stuck with me and it broke my heart and it shouldn't have. I don't know why I'm still reminded of it. I don't know why that particular moment was so painful. When it comes to issues of race, I've heard it all. I've been called everything. I have been threatened. I have been disrespected. I've had my address published on the Internet by conservatives and then the threats increase because now they know where I live. So ladies and gentlemen, I have heard it all, seen it all, experienced it all. I grew up in Brown Deer in the 1980s. I heard it out there too. In fact, I was hardened by the time I graduated from high school. I was ready because I heard it all. I even heard it from teachers that were very convincing that I wouldn't amount to very much. And maybe you should think about going into the trades. So the elevator door opens at the Fister hotel. And it's just me and this well-dressed Caucasian woman. She's probably in her 60s. She's holding her purse. 
I walk into the elevator. I'm trying to get up to blue. I got people waiting on me. I then you walk into the elevator and then I turn around. So now I'm facing the elevator doors. And she just stood there. And she's looking directly at me. So she wasn't shy. And so I'm in the elevator. She is not. She got to the elevator before I did. She pushed the up button before I did. The elevator arrived. The doors opened and she just didn't get in with me. And I watched those elevator doors close in slow motion. And the whole way up to the 23rd floor, because that is where Blue is located, I thought about that. And it made me very, very angry. And then I'm overthinking it because in times of stress, people tend to do that. And I'm thinking to myself, what am I going to do to this woman? What does she think was going to happen to her in an elevator where we ultimately are going to get off? What I was, I was going to murder her. I was going to kill her in the elevator of the hotel of the, the Fister. I don't know why that stuck with me. Now, there could be other reasons. Maybe she had a previous bad experience being in an elevator with a stranger. Maybe she decided she didn't want to go up. Maybe she was waiting for someone. Who knows? But as I get in this elevator and I turn around expecting her to walk in, because, you know, you when the first person in the elevator, you go over to the panel where the buttons are. Okay. Because you get ready to push the other person's. The floor. Hey, what floor are you going to? Right. What floor? She did. She never got in the elevator. And she just stared. There was something about that. And so what I do, and maybe it's in out of respect for how I felt. I don't want somebody else to feel that way. Because there's a whole bunch of people that I don't want to be in the elevator with for a variety of reasons. But that's so rude. It's so it's overtly disrespectful. And I thought that we all agreed that kindness is a virtue, right? You gotta be kind to people. It'd be kind. That's a very, very simple gesture, holding the elevator door for somebody. But I, I'll be honest with you now. Here in the Third Street Market Hall, there's some shady characters. There's all sorts of shady folks that come to this place. But if if you're waiting on the elevator, I'm waiting on the elevator. I get in the elevator. I hold the elevator door for you. I ask you what floor you're going to. I usually don't make a lot of conversation in close quarters. I just don't. I just I'm not like that. I keep to myself because you never know who the person is or what they may want to talk about. But typically when I'm in public, I keep to myself anyway, because the last thing I want to do is start a political argument or a debate with somebody who heard my program and they heard something that they disagreed with. But they didn't call and disagree or they didn't text and disagree. Now they got your boy in person in an elevator. Now they want to talk about what they disagreed with. And that has happened before, too. It's been a few times where y'all just caught me out outside, out in the streets, just living my best life, doing my thing. I ain't thinking about what I do for a living when I'm outside, kicking it. Might be with my friends. Maybe I'm with my significant other, just living my best life. There he is. That Sure, we remember what you said October 15th, 2017. You remember that? It was about 10, 15. Something I've learned, when people hear something, they remember when they heard it. 
They remember the day and the time. Remember when you said that thing that one day, Sherwin? And when I tell you that I don't remember, ladies and gentlemen, please understand, I really have no recollection. When you use this many words in the course of your workday, it's hard to remember the specific words you may have said on a specific day in a specific month at a specific time. It's just hard to remember some of that stuff. All right. Curly Q says, I'm behind. I'm okay for someone not to hold the door because I'm not doing that quick jog. I wave them off or look elsewhere unless the door is locked and will require additional work to get in. Yeah, those like this normal, regular kind of mundane social interactions say so much about people. You know what else I noticed? It was um, it was during the George Floyd time. The suburbs opened up prematurely because remember the city of Milwaukee closed everything down. We closed all the bars and all the restaurants, whatever. But the suburbs, including the nearby suburb of Wauwatosa, opened up everything in May. Like we were going out to eat and going into restaurants in May of 2020. George Floyd happened May 25th of 2020. COVID was going on, of course, too. But the suburbs were were open. And we had been locked down at that point for, what, two months? I think we locked the state of Wisconsin down right around St. Patrick's Day, so March 17th of 2020. So by May, people were, were antsy to get out. They had cabin fever, right? <laughs> I'll never forget this. I was going to Jose's. Jose's Blue Sombrero, which is on like 73rd and State Street in Wauwatosa. Terrible Mexican food. Sorry. It's it's not good. It's not good at all. It's not good. But it was open and it was close. And (laughs) I'm approaching the crosswalk to cross State Street to go to Jose's Blue Sombrero, which is in Wauwatosa. I'm about 73rd and State Street, give or take. And as I'm walking in the... I'm approaching the crosswalk. There was a vehicle that had plenty of time to continue on its path. That vehicle was going west on State Street, and I'm just barely approaching the crosswalk. Do you know that they literally just, like, they stopped 40 yards from the crosswalk, and they waved me over? I wonder if that was a like a covert gesture to be like, no black person. No, you people have been through a lot with the George Floyd murder. You go right ahead. I'll stop in the middle of traffic and let you cross the crosswalk. Typically when a vehicle pulls up to the crosswalk, that's where you stop for a pedestrian. They were way, but they no, go ahead, go ahead. It's those little gestures, those little things that we do, how we interact with strangers in society that tells us so much about what people are thinking and feeling. Maybe it's holding a door for somebody. Maybe it's an elevator. Maybe it's stopping so someone can proceed through the crosswalk. I'm going to take a break. I'm going to come back. We're going to chat with Bill Christensen. He is a candidate for city of Milwaukee comptroller. He's going to tell us some things about the position and why he's qualified for it and why you should vote for him on April 2nd, 2024. The Truth with Sherwin Hughes on 101.7 FM. We'll be right back. Don't touch that dial. The Truth with Sherwin Hughes will be right back on 101.7 The Truth. The Truth app and 1017thetruth.com.
You are listening to The Truth with Sherwin Hughes on 1017 The Truth, The Truth app, and 1017thetruth.com. In studio, candidate for City of Milwaukee Comptroller Bill Christensen is in studio. Welcome to the program, Bill. How are you? I'm doing great, Sherman. How are you? I'm doing all right, Bill. So tell us, who is Bill Christensen? Who are you? Where are you from? Sure. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me on. A um, little bit about myself. I'm a lifelong Milwaukee resident. I grew up on the city's southwest side. Uh, the proud son of an MPS teacher and a Milwaukee firefighter. Uh, currently live on the east side with my wife down on Prospect Avenue. Um, worked for the city of Milwaukee in public finance roles for about thirteen, uh, almost 14 years now, actually. I've been the deputy comptroller for a year and a half. So I'm number two in the office that I'm seeking. The uh, current comptroller, her name is Aichisawa. I want to give her a shout out because she's been a great supporter of mine and uh, gave me that, my start in the comptroller's office. And I'll be forever thankful for that for uh, for her. But uh, prior to that, I was with the city's budget office for about 12 years. And uh, there I I learned the ropes on city finance, city operations, and um, was also part of an initiative, actually led an initiative to engage the public in the budget process. So educating the public on on how the budget works, where the revenues come from, what the major expenditures are, and then obtaining feedback through surveys and other types of things. So uh, that's something that I'm I'm really proud of, and I think that's something that I'd like to kind of make a priority as a as a comptroller. So just general civic engagement and education, um, and also you know a two way conversation, seeking feedback as well. The comptroller's office, when we look at the duties, we're going to talk about the duties in just a second. It is an expressly non political position, yet you have to run and be elected to be comptroller for the city of Milwaukee. So give folks who may not be familiar with the office and some of the more important duties that everyone should know about, how would you describe the comptroller's office? Because if you haven't heard it yet, you will hear, oh, you're running for comptroller. What is that? What do you do? So what do you say to that person that is totally unfamiliar with the duties of the comptroller's office? Sure. So I, I ask if they want the, the short answer or the long answer. The short answer is we protect the city's money. That's that's the short answer. But, I mean, the, the long answer is the, the comptroller sets accounting policies for the city. Every single financial transaction that takes place in the city flows through the comptroller's office. We do accounting, auditing, financial reporting. We process payroll for thousands of, of city of Milwaukee employees and make sure that they're paid accurately and on time. We issue debt for the city. So we have a over billion dollar debt profile. So our office manages that. So this, the stakes are incredibly high. Um, we are also the we serve as the advocate or the the voice of city residents on behalf of sound financial management. The reason that this position is elected and not appointed is to be that independent advocate for taxpayers and uh, to not be you know have your have your position um, you know subject to the the mayor or the common council. You report to to the residents themselves. So I th- I think that's. That's the value in having an independent comptroller. If the city of Milwaukee, I'm saying if like it's never happened before, 
if the city is in, let's say, a lot of debt or in major financial trouble, is it safe to say that the comptroller's office will be aware of that pretty early on? And then you all in the comptroller's office can communicate to different city departments, maybe to the common council to let them know that the city might be in you know, budget trouble. Here's what our office has found. You guys need to find a solution to that. Is that kind of a role that the comptroller's office occupies? Yeah, I mean, that's a role that we, we can play and do play. Um, primarily, budget forecasting is the role of the budget office, the office that I came from previously. But I think serving as an independent you know, verification or an independent set of eyes on what the budget office is, is putting out there, I think that's a, an important role of the comptroller's office. The city of Milwaukee has a bond rating, right? We can issue municipal bonds. So for those folks who may not know what that is, if, if we need money for something, maybe a project, we can issue bonds and then people can purchase the bonds and they're usually a very reliable investment instrument. And we can use the proceeds from those bonds to fund projects, et cetera, et cetera. But the city also has like a credit rating, right? Like a bond rating. Does the comptroller's office at all get involved in the bond rating of the city or issuing municipal bonds? Yeah, so actually it's the comptroller's office that does issue the bonds, and uh, we are responsible for maintaining relationships with investors and with rating agencies. So right now, the, the city's ratings, we've got uh, Fitch has, the, there's three rating agencies that, that rate us right now. Fitch has us at triple B plus. Uh, and, um, it's not good. That's it's, not as good as it could be. Right? It's not as good as it could be. We've triple seen A some, is the highest. Right. Okay. We've, we've seen some declines in, in recent years, and part of that is due to um, the, the pension issue, the unfunded pension liability, as well as just some structural issues with the budget. Meaning, if you look at that, that forecast that you were talking about, um, we were talking maybe two years ago, we would be looking at that forecast saying we're, we're forecasting a ma- falling off a cliff fiscally where we're going to have a major gap between what our expected revenues are versus what our um, – projected uh, expenditures are speaking with bill christensen he is a candidate for city of milwaukee comptroller he currently serves as deputy comptroller bill as you can imagine the sales tax increase both at the county and at the city was fodder for talk radio we talked about it a lot and in fact i still talk about it i wonder if and this is all hindsight being 2020 could the city of milwaukee have issued municipal bonds to pay for let's say, the the pension shortfalls or any budget shortfalls that we have had? Did we miss an opportunity to do that? Or were our financial troubles as a city so bad and too far gone that raising the sales tax was the only way to get us out of the hole? I mean, that's an interesting question. Um, there's something called pension obligation bonds, which is a way to pay off your, your pe- unfunded pension liability by issuing bonds. Um, if you're able to time the market correctly where interest rates are low and and the market is down there's a way that it can work out in your favor now timing the market i mean if i could time the market i I wouldn't be running for comptroller i'd be uh, on wall street making uh, hundreds of millions of dollars so uh i don't think anybody's really in a position to say that um that oh we should have done this at this time um i mean looking back in hindsight you can say that i suppose but um I really don't think that that was a silver bullet solution. And, and regardless, once you borrow, you've got to pay that back. So I think our, our 
we had a revenue problem. I think the the revenues being stagnant, especially um, state shared revenue being stagnant. I think that was really more of the the contributor. We didn't have necessarily an expenditure problem. It was just that revenues weren't keeping up with the, the increasing cost of doing business over the last twenty or so years. You are a first time political candidate. Is that correct? That's right. I am a uh, public finance professional who morphs into a politician for these uh, four months of campaign season. So what's it like? I mean, you are running the same, like geographically, this is the same campaign that a city attorney would run, that a mayor would run, any citywide position, municipal judge. So what's that like? Your first time running for public office, and it's a citywide one. Even though Milwaukee may seem like a small town, when you're out here talking to voters, this city is not that small at all. But, oh, that's that's right. And I mean, it's not going to lie, it's overwhelming at times, but um, and you realize how big the city is when you go out and knock doors and you feel you feel good. You took care of, uh, you know, maybe 10 blocks or something like that. And that is just a drop in the bucket. And, you know, a lot of people these days don't answer their doors. So, um, you know, how many people did you actually reach? Now we're doing social media ads. We're going to be doing targeted mailers. We're doing what we can to get the word out. But you're right. I mean, it's a uh, it's a big city, you know, almost 600,000 people, um, and especially a race like Comptroller where, you know, I- I'm not the one that's going to be able to get your road paved faster or fix that street light in front of your house. But making the case for, hey, we're the ones that uh, make sure that the city's finances are managed sound. I feel like if I can get 90 seconds with somebody and, and make the case to them one on one, I can I can you know, let those people know why it's important to have an experienced public finance professional in the role. But it's hard to get 90 seconds with uh, 600,000 people that, that live in the city. So, so I mean, to answer your question, I mean, it's, it's, it's a bit overwhelming, uh, but uh, I think it's worth it because I've gotten to meet a lot of great people. And uh, I've sort of changed as a person. I've become much more, much more outgoing. And uh, I, I've really there's a lot of aspects of campaigning that I've really enjoyed. We live in hyper-partisan times, and I'd imagine there's going to be somebody somewhere, if they haven't already, and you tell them that you're running for office. You're running for a non-partisan position. Do people ask you about your political affiliation? Because I think that's how people like conceptualize candidates for public office. Oh, are you a Democrat or a Republican? And like, how do you answer that? Because you really... You shouldn't answer it, right? Because it's a nonpartisan position. Right. Exactly. I mean, I, I get asked that question three or four times a day. And, and my answer is I focus on the nonpartisan nature of the position, which, I mean, that's not usually satisfactory to most people. So um, what I'll do is, is I'll say, look, once we in the comptroller's office start branding ourselves one way or another, left or right or coming from any particular political angle, I feel like we lose credibility because – we're supposed to be the neutral calling balls and strikes on what is what is right from an accounting perspective, what is right from a financial management perspective, being an advocate for sound financial management. Once you start putting yourself out there on one side or the other, I think you lose that neutral credibility. Somebody might say, oh, well, you're only taking that position because you're an advocate for this particular political philosophy. So I, I try to stay away from that as much as I possibly can. If people want more information about you or about the campaign, where do they go? So they can go to www.billformke.com. That's F-O-R. I've also got a uh, fundraiser coming up on March 4th at uh, Camp Bar from 5 to 7 p.m. That's a camp bar in the Third Ward. Uh, I would love it if people would uh, would attend. And um, I'm also on on Facebook, so look up Bill Christensen on on Facebook. Uh, Christensen for Comptroller is also my my campaign page, but I I post on both. Um, And, uh, yeah, I'll be – 
in a in a neighborhood near you, knocking on doors, attending community events. Uh, so please, I'll look for you, and if you see me out, come find me. A wise person once told me a very, very long time ago, to have a productive and su- successful life, you need three things. You need a good pastor, you need a good doctor, and you need a good accountant. And Bill, you sound like you'd be a very, very good accountant, and thank you so much for joining us today, and good luck on the campaign trail. Well, thank you so much for having me, Sherman. We're listening to The Truth with Sherwin Hughes on 1017 FM. Don't go anywhere. I'll be right back. The Truth with Sherwin Hughes returns after this on 1017 The Truth, The Truth app, and 1017thetruth.com. More of The Truth with Sherwin Hughes is next on 1017 The Truth, The Truth app, and 1017thetruth.com. We here at 1017 The Truth are proud to be celebrating Black History Month with the Milwaukee Bucks for their HBCU night game on Tuesday, February 27th. Make sure you tune into the award-winning 1017 The Truth from 6 p.m. Nope, from noon until 6 p.m. as our Truth family will be broadcasting live from the Potawatomi Club at the Vice Forum. You will hear Melanie Ricks, Tori Lowe, and Dr. Ken Harris bringing you all your favorite content live from the Milwaukee Bucks HBCU night celebration game. So again, tune into our special remote broadcast live from the Potawatomi Club at the Viceroy Forum from noon until 6 p.m. on Tuesday, February 27th. Milwaukee Black Talk. And tune in to The Truth this Saturday at 10 a.m. for another episode of More Than a Movement powered by Planned Parenthood Advocates of Wisconsin. Carrie Noni will be joined by Sarah Noble of the B. Noble Group, Portia Cobb, Associate Facility, Department of Film Animation and the New Genres at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee, and Fidel Verdeen, Co-Executive Director of True School. They will discuss the historical impact of black art in Wisconsin. So again, that is more than a movement powered by Planned Parenthood Advocates of Wisconsin this Saturday at 10 a.m. on the award-winning 1017 Truth. Should we keep rolling? Let's keep rolling with it. The award-winning 1017 The Truth proudly celebrates black excellence and the most monumental moments in our black history. Tune in all February long as we celebrate Black History Month. 1017 The Truth Celebration of Black History Month is sponsored by Tayback Law, Educators Credit Union, Fredericton, the Medical College of Wisconsin, and American Family Insurance. The award-winning 1017 The Truth is home of Milwaukee Panthers basketball. Ooh, This Friday night, the Panthers are at home as they host the Youngstown State Penguins. Coverage begins at 6.30 with a tip-off starting at 7. The Truth Street team will be in full effect Friday night handing out swag. The Truth Street team is sponsored by UW Credit Union. They're here forever. My announcements outlasted the music. That happens sometimes. I think that's all of them. Yeah, well, that's all the ones I'm going to read. So y'all get all that stuff? All right. I bought a tuxedo yesterday. I'm tired of renting tuxes. Every man needs a tuxedo. Gentlemen, here's what you need. Well, here's the thing. For a black tie event, depending upon what it is, a nice, well-tailored black suit can suffice as a tuxedo in most cases. Depends on how you accessorize. Where are you going? Uh, Don't, why you, you know what? You real nosy. 
You told us you were buying a tuxedo, so where are you going? Every man needs a tuxedo. You need a black suit. Gentlemen, listen. Listen. You need a black suit. You need a navy blue suit. You need a gray suit. And you need a couple. You need some sport coats where you can mix and match. And you need some slacks. You need some black slacks. You need some brown slacks. You need some khaki colored slacks. You need some navy blue slacks. And you're good. And you're going to need some button-down shirts and some ties, okay? I don't really do bow ties because I think that they're cheesy. And maybe I come from an era where we watched a lot of slapstick comedy and a bow tie was always like a little propeller, like a little helicopter. And you just look dumb wearing a bow tie. I can't get into it. I can't. Sorry, fellas. I know y'all like to wear bow ties sometimes, but I'm not doing a bow tie. I'm not doing it. Even at my wedding, if I have the kind of wedding where a tuxedo is necessary, I'm not wearing a bow tie. Ain't no way. But I don't think I'd have that kind of a wedding. I'm not doing like a big party. Screw y'all. I'm not spending 50 grand so y'all can party. Are you nuts? Am I invited to this wedding? I mean, you can watch it on Zoom. Oh. I have somebody there like to put it on the internet, I guess. I'll probably just get married at the courthouse. I'm damn near 50 years old, Rhea. Why I need a big wedding party? Hell no. But you're saying you're going to throw a wedding and you're buying a tux. Well, the tux that I'm buying, I, even if I get married at the courthouse, I still, I'm a dress up. My okay. wife will still wear a, re- a wedding dress, even if we go to the courthouse. It's like 120 bucks. I'll be like, I got 60 on the marriage. You got 60 on it, girl? Yeah, I got 60 on it. Anybody trying to pay thousands of dollars, got to have a venue, got to have food. You got to have all this other stuff. Ain't nobody doing that mess. And I've been to some really, really nice weddings. But I've been to weddings that are so nice, I don't even want to try to compete with them. Because if I had that kind of wedding, my wedding would have to be a blowout. It would have to be the wedding to end all weddings. But ain't nobody doing all that, man. That's stupid. You know how many people that have had those kind of weddings? And no shade, and I'm not trying to be disrespectful to none of y'all. But the wedding was the best part about that couple because they got divorced. You know how much of a fool I would feel like if... If my contribution to my wedding was twenty five or thirty thousand, and we get divorced three years later, because ain't nobody paying me back for what I spent on a wedding. If anything, no, we ain't getting divorced. I paid too much money for the wedding. You better, you better sit down somewhere for the next forty years. Hell no, ain't no way. And then what you get is gifts, toasters. You know what I really like is when men wear bow ties, and then do fun stuff with their mustaches. Ew. Ew to you. That's disgusting. That's weird. It's not weird. Like when people do like put wax on their mustaches and make it curl up at the ends. Yeah. That's only them to do that. Well, I've seen some black people do it. No, not really. Yes, I have. Not on the internet, maybe. Not in real life. Black men don't do funny stuff with our mustaches. That's for them. They do weird stuff with their beards and their mustache. They do weird stuff. Well, black men will do like cool hairstyles, though. And they'll also wear like a bow tie. I'm here for it. Like an Andre 3000 kind of vibe. Nah. Andre 3000 did it. He's Andre 3000. He can do a bunch of stuff that most normal human beings could never do. I like his new album, actually, that, he, that was very, people were very critical of it. I thought it was very peaceful. Oh, the Sonics album. Yeah, I listen to music on my way in sometimes to calm my nerves because I know that once I get here and this microphone turns into sound, I, I get real hot. Like people call and I get mad. My therapist says, yes, you're correct, Rhea. I get flooded. It's like, sure, well, what do they do at the big game when they're at the free throw line? 
and they got to make those free throws to win the game. Well, they, they take a deep breath, don't they? That's right. That's what you need to do. I'm like, oh, okay, that's what I'll. Everybody needs a therapist. Rhea, you brought something up yesterday. I didn't really say much about it, but I've been thinking about it. And we were talking about like the things that women will do to alter their appearance or to enhance their appearance. And I'm not in the line of work telling women what they should and shouldn't do and how they should and shouldn't look. Either I'm attracted to somebody or I'm not. And if I'm not, fine, because I'm probably not that person's cup of tea either. Right. And then the question is, do women, heterosexual, cisgender women who want a relationship, a long term commitment, get married, all that other stuff. Do they do some of the things that they do to enhance their appearance for a man or they do it for themselves? And the politically correct answer is no. A woman does certain things to augment her appearance. She does it for herself. Why can't a woman? And I think you said a woman should take care of herself. And however she defines taking care of herself and I'm not saying you specifically, but I think a lot of women may look at taking care of themselves is hair, you know, makeup lashes, nails, fingernails, toenails, and all sorts of grooming that women will do. And that may be considered in the realm of her taking care of herself. And then I ask myself this question, because there's no question that I would ever ask any of you that I wouldn't first ask myself. When I ask myself, I said, self, Sherwin, what does it mean to you when a woman takes care of herself? Does it mean something like physical? She's got to wear makeup and hair and lashes and nails and get a BBL and all that other stuff. No. It's getting therapy. Eating right. And getting like regular health care. Anything outside of that is secondary. The older I get the more I realize that taking care of myself and how I want my partner to take care of themselves is resolving your issues that have caused you to lose every other partner you've ever had in every relationship, getting therapy. Not a single one of y'all is above therapy. Trust me. I know I talk to you people. You're crazier than me. Got to take care of yourself. Mentally, you got to eat right. You got to exercise. You got to go to the doctor. As much as we pay for health insurance, like that to me is taking care of yourself and how I and how the woman that I'm with, how they take care of themselves. Anything additional that a woman wants to do ain't got nothing to do with me because if those basic foundational things are not met, if she's not getting necessary therapy and having, you know, therapists to talk to and taking like eating right and exercising, then then in my opinion, she is not, she's not taking care of herself. I'm with a woman now that makes me take my blood pressure and write it down. I have to. I, but I appreciate that. You know that high blood pressure kills black men? What other thing is she cooks with so much salt, she made a pot roast. I, and I don't eat meat. But the pot roast was so good, I had to eat it. The other thing about chickpea is the she eats real spicy food. And I like spice. I eat jalapeno peppers raw. I dip jalapeno peppers in hummus. I'm not kidding. I fire roast a jalapeno pepper. I turn on, I got a gas stove. So I turn on my stove, my um the burners, and I roast the jalapeno pepper till it gets a char on it. And I flip it over, and the other side gets charred. And I dip it in my homemade hummus. 
And that's my snack. Oh, it's so good. I love jalapeno peppers. And so I tolerate hot very well. I eat hot sauces. I got many hot sauces. There's one hot sauce that is too hot for me. And she gave it to me. She just says, she just eats hot food. Too hot. She made some she made shrimp and grits. Good old down home shrimp and grits. It's pot rolls. She makes the best the grits. Here's what I didn't understand about grits. And I'm black. I never even thought about this. Instead of using water to make your grits, use chicken broth. I never even would have thought about that. Chicken broth in the grits. Let's talk to someone who I know uses chicken broth in her grits. Hello, Linda. Hello, hello, Professor Sherwin. And hello, good comrade brand. And hello to Truth Nation, all the good black and white people of Milwaukee. How you doing? We're great. I just uh, chimed chimed in. Yeah, I I, um, love good soulful cooking. But um, Linda, you know, what do you I, know how to cook? What's your what's your best meal that gets the most compliments? I never even asked you if you know how to cook, Linda. <laughs> yeah, uh, a steak, a steak for you know a steak, a country steak breakfast. I'm really good at cooking breakfast and different That's variations. Breakfast is easy. And yeah, and but and I'm good at um, yeah. My family always liked the uh, my burgers, so they always called it the Woods Whopper. But Linda, um, you can't cook. I, I, if you name breakfast I and can't. hamburger, you can, no, you can't. You can't cook. <laughs> I knew it. I knew no, you can't I cook. A you. woman that looks like you can never cook. I told you that I cook healthy and I cook. You know, I cook healthy. Then I don't what know do how to make? cook soul food. Okay, then huh? what do you? A hamburger and breakfast food I'm ain't more, exactly healthy. I mean, I mean. I lean more on the Mediterranean diet. Uh, people are just now getting into it, but I had to figure that out years ago as a diabetic that reversed my diabetes. And I'm telling you, the Mediterranean diet is kind of like, you know, it's like midsection from, you know, being vegan and all that and then going all the way into So you uh, use olive food. oil, you eat nuts and, and fruits, yes, and, yes, but you don't, what do yes, you cook? What did you make for dinner last night, Linda? Here, Chia seeds, chia seeds on your oatmeal. I have loaded oatmeal every morning. Chia seeds, strawberries, blueberries, apples, bananas. Yes, that gets your your foundation ready for. What the do you day. make for dinner, Linda? What's a what's a good dinner, a meal that you would prepare? Let's say you was having company over, and maybe you want to showcase the Mediterranean diet. There's something that you know how to prepare that people who may be unfamiliar with your Mediterranean oh, diet. What would you cook? No. You can't cook here. <laughs> I just I cracked the code. I, I, I hope to find a partner that can cook. Yes, I do. Because otherwise your ass ain't going to eat, Linda, because you don't know how to cook. Talk about I make loaded oatmeal. <laughs> you got me cracking up in this gym. Oh, my God. But guess what? This gym popping. I'm trying to tell you. Oh, all the honey's coming out, baby, with the thickness. I'm trying to tell you. We're getting ready for the summer. But I wanted to chime in about what you said um, about uh, ladies who, uh, you know, augment their sales and stuff. You know, a man told me this, and I tend to believe it as I've observed it over the years, that women do that as a competition to, between themselves. 
you know, they do that for themselves. There's competition between themselves. And I tend to kind of observe that, you know, and this peer pressure, you know, you got to get the lashes, you got to do this. and you. Look, I just don't follow the trend. I really don't. And I always taught my students that don't believe the hype and don't follow the trend. Set your own path and your own pace. Man. That's good advice, Linda. Yes. Well, have a good workout. All right. And Thank have, you. And have a good lunch that you're not going to make. You too. <laughs> okay. All right, then. From now on, LCC. Oh, you're curious. What is LCC, Sherwin? Oh, wise Professor Hughes. What is LCC? Linda can't cook. You heard it. Uh, I make a nice breakfast. And, oh, the, my family loves my hamburger. You understand that a hamburger is literally making a patty and finding heat? That's <laughs> finding fire and ground beef. You can even buy hamburger patties already formed where now all you need is, is something hot, a skillet. That's Linda didn't say, oh, I make a beautiful dressing, a turkey, my collard greens, ooh, my turnip, I made some of the best baked macaroni. Oh, my sweet potatoes, my yams, ooh, I make the best fried corn. Oh, I made my okra so ooh, I make the best gumbo. Ask a woman that knows how to cook, that prides herself on cooking. Not because she even cooks for other people, because, I mean, cooking is a life skill. They will tell you, um, ooh, I make the best baked chicken. I make a rosemary baked chicken. I'm, ooh, I make a good whatever. Spaghetti. <laughs> Linda didn't even say she makes spaghetti. LCC. Linda can't cook. Let's take a break, shall we? You are listening to a program called The Truth with Sherwin Hughes on the host. Make sure you go to YouTube.com or open up your YouTube app on your phone or mobile device, smart device, whatever it is, and then search 1017 The Truth and click subscribe and then take a nap. I'll be right back. Don't touch that dial. The Truth with Sherwin Hughes will be right back on 1017 The Truth, The Truth app, and 1017thetruth.com. This is The Truth with Sherwin Hughes on 1017 The Truth, The Truth app, and 1017thetruth.com. some of these messages here I'm not sure if I'll be able to get to all of them by the time the show ends the caller says Professor Hughes did you forget that old people elected JFK while he was in his 30s brother so interesting you brought that up so if that's the best example that you have of people voting for somebody young he's been dead for 60 years he got elected to the Senate in Massachusetts when he was 29 years old his daddy bought that election you know that you know, Joe Kennedy was an old gangster. Joe Kennedy wanted his boy to be in power so that Joe Kennedy could enjoy immunity from the crimes he committed. Joe Kennedy used to play with them Italians, with the mob boys. They made money during Prohibition. They basically were the dope dealers at the time. Heroin, fentanyl right now is what alcohol was back then when they prohibited, made illegal and unconstitutional alcohol. People moonshine and the mob got incredibly powerful because they were 
manufacturing and distributing alcohol when it was illegal in the country. Here's one thing about people in this nation. We love to get drunk. We love it. Some of y'all can't wait till Friday after work. Or, oh, here's the one I really love. Somebody drinking at 9 o'clock in the morning. What do they say? It's 5 o'clock somewhere. What the hell that got to do with the fact that you drinking shots of vodka at 7.30 in the morning? You over here watching the Today Show getting drunk. Love to get drunk. H. Lee says, I'm probably saying that wrong. Immigrants are allowed to join the armed forces in exchange for citizenship. Wait, what? We got a problem with that? Does anybody have a problem with that? If somebody wants to come to this country and because our immigration system is broken, because we use that as an excuse to make other human beings illegal, don't you understand that they're playing a trick? A human being cannot be illegal. But we we put that moniker on them like just because you were born somewhere else because you want to move somewhere else, you're a criminal? Our immigration system is broken with no real like political motivation to fix it so we can just call people illegal. But if they want to come here and then if they can join the armed forces to become a citizen, because y'all are not joining the military. No, you're not. You're not. You know what y'all do when you see a veteran? Thank you for your service. Thank you. That's all you do. That's about as military as most of y'all get. I've been to basketball games before and sporting events. Some of y'all ain't even putting your hand over your heart when you're singing the national anthem Star Spangled Banner. That's the Star Spangled Banner. Y'all get mad at the black national anthem. If you were a real American patriot, you would appreciate the black national anthem too, you bunch of haters. But that's only one national anthem. You also probably think it's only one country too. We're still split. So if somebody wants to come to this country and in in exchange for citizenship, they join the military. I think that's a fantastic idea because y'all are telling your kids not to join the military. And if you want to make somebody an American, put them in the military. So if you're worried about someone being un-American or acting in a certain way, go ahead and join the Marines. One of my very good friends I grew up with, I hope he ain't listening. He thought he was a Marine. He quit. He's like, uh-uh, it's too much for me. I can't do it. What else is it? Draco says, I say document them all at bare minimum a state ID so the immigrants are prosecutable for infractions they may commit. Well, they're prosecutable even if they don't have any ID. And Lewis just sent a YouTube link. I'm cautious about clicking on links, Lewis, because they get real mad at us when we click on stuff here in the studio. Because if that's something sinister or a virus, I get in a whole bunch of trouble. D. Wood says, how many black people do you think employ Hispanic contractors to work on your properties versus how many Hispanic people do you think employ black people to work on their properties? I don't even know why you said that. If you a Latino, oh, you calling your cousin to work on your house. You ain't calling Leroy and them. Leroy and them may not show up. Let me. Can I be honest? I don't want to be racially biased, but I got a bunch of friends that are in real estate, and they buy beat up old raggedy houses, and they fix them up, and they sell them or they rent them. Right? My guy. In fact, one of y'all actually texted me, or like sent me an inbox message on Facebook, like, "Oh, sure, well, who was that crew of Hispanics?" That your friend uses. I got a buddy that owns a bunch of properties in the city. He's buying properties all the time, fixes them up and rents them. He walked me through one of his properties that he just bought. I mean, it was in rough shape. 
He has a crew of Latino men. They don't even speak no English. And a whole day, they redid the electrical. They cleaned that house and they drywalled the whole house to where he could put it on the market. And they show up in a van. They show up in a van at 7 o'clock. And at 7 o'clock at night, they're gone. All right. I got to go now. Thank you, everybody. Bye-bye.